Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. Last week, we left chapter 7. And when we left them, they were praising God. They were praising God because of, of all the things that uh, He had done and all the things that... Uh, uh-oh. All the things that had happened in the opening of these six seals. Now, you remember chapter 7 uh, basically was a, was a parenthesis. There was a pause there because, because God was, was showing us this 144,000 uh, that were going to be ordained and the 144,000 that are sealed by God, they are the evangelists. They are uh, moving forward, sharing the gospel and then we see these, this multitude in white robes, and this multitude has accepted uh, Christ, cried out unto God during this tribulation. In verse 14 of chapter 7, uh, when the angel asked John, who is this? John said, I don't know, but you do. And he said, these are the ones that have come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There before the throne, they are worshiping God, they are praising God. And then in verse 16, it says, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. Now, if, if you're not careful, you kind of get uh, concerned about what that means. But basically, he says, You'll never starve. You'll never be thirsty again, and you don't have to work under that hot sun. During the tribulation, that sun is going to be uh, terrible. Now, we're going to read something here uh, in a moment about the darkening, but we read on later in the book of Revelation, and that, and that sun is going to be scorching. And so these people during the tribulation are under the, the watchful eye of the Antichrist, and they are made to stay outside, and they are made to work. And so God says, no longer are you going to have to endure that hot sun. Okay? And that's, that's what they're talking about here. And I'm sure that many of you, growing up or even right now, have to work out in that hot sun, and you know how unbearable that can be. So God says, you have been relieved from that. Now, verse 17 of chapter 7 leads us into... Chapter 8, the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now chapter 8. I'm sure that most of us thought in those verses in chapter 6 that we had pretty well taken care of the uh, wrath of God in the tribulation period. But all of a sudden you see that this is nothing but a prelude. It is this seventh seal of chapter 8 that opens the tribulation. Now we've had some things happen in chapter 6. I know that. I get that. But now things are going to begin to intensify. And you're going to see that in chapter 8. Now, before we get started, I want you to understand. Chapter 8 and chapter 9 really go together. But there's a chapter break there. And it's a good thing because all I can cover today is chapter 8. 
and, and get that done. But keep in mind, we're going to begin to hear the trumpets. And we'll see what happens when the trumpets begin to sound. But there's some, the seal has to be broken, the seventh seal, before we can do that. Now let's remind ourselves very quickly. If you want to, if somebody says, what is the book of Revelation all about? All you got to do is read the first few words of verse 1 of chapter 1. The book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's it. Okay? The word, I'm not going to go over this. We've already done this. The word is apocalypsis. It means to unveil. The apocalypse. We get the word from that. The unveiling, the revealing of Jesus Christ. That's what this book is about. We saw Jesus described in verse 12 through 16 of, verse, of, of chapter 1. John saw him. He describes the risen Christ. Verse 19 of chapter 1 gives us the, the outline of the book of Revelation. Write, John, what you have uh, heard, what, what you have seen, what is happening now, and what's going to happen. That's where we are right now. So the revelation is about Jesus. He is our kinsman redeemer. He's the only one that can take back that which was usurped from God or from man in the Garden of Eden. Adam signed it over to him. The seventh seal is going to reveal something that I, I think that uh, it goes back to what I mentioned to you about this scroll. The six seals were opened, and as, they, as the scroll is opened, they tear off a seal, and then the, seal, the, the scroll begins to roll down. They covered the front of that, but on the back side of that, as, as they would do in the Old Testament, they wrote the plan to take back. This is what the kinsman redeemer must do to take back the land, the people, whatever it might be. You can read all that in the Old Testament. The seventh seal very well could be the plan that God has. And now they see the backside of this seal. When they open the seventh one, they've all opened. And now they see the plan of God. The plan is being revealed of the kinsman redeemer taking back the world. So, chapter 8, we see God's plan begin to unfold. And the seal is opened. Look at verse 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Now, there's a joke that goes with that verse. But I'm not that stupid. I'm not going to tell it. If you want to know what it is after church, I'll tell you. Okay? Other than that, forget what I just said. You won't do it. I guarantee you won't do it. The seventh seal is silence in heaven. Doesn't it seem strange? And then he goes on to say, for the space of half an hour. Now, we all know that there, there's no time with God. We, don't, we really don't know what that is, but, but we have to read it. And that's what it says. The space of the time is about half an hour. So we have to believe that this is what God is saying about this. There's silence all through heaven. They've been rejoicing. They've been praising God. 
The elders before the throne, the angels praising God, those in the white robes, pray, robes praising God. All of this is going on and, and joy all through heaven. And all of a sudden, there's a quiet. There's silence in heaven for a half an hour. Can you imagine that? Here's John, and, and he's seeing all of these things that, that God is revealing. And then all of a sudden, from all of this praising God, silence. What is that silence? Well, we're going to call it a calm before the storm. Because it begins in these first few verses of chapter 8. And it, and, and it talks about the calmness there. It talks about that quietness that we see. The seventh seal is silence. But why the silence? Now, there's only thing, about the only thing that you can do is to try to understand how God explained it to us. Now, here's God's explanation. You can't understand it. So don't try to figure it out. Okay? He didn't explain it to us. He didn't tell us why this silence in heaven. And so because of that, then we have to ask ourselves, okay, what does it mean? Well, let me read to you real quickly. Out of the book of Zephaniah, and that is a book in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. The book of Zephaniah, the prophet Zephaniah says, Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord thy God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice, he hath bid his guest. The great day of the Lord is near, it is near, and hastens greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet an alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. This is judgment against Judah. The day of the Lord is near. It's at hand. Now there's silence. Be silent in the presence of the Lord. You think about, about the verses, about the silence in, in heaven that God didn't explain to us. We always have to ask ourselves, okay, what does that mean? Well, there's a couple of things that I read that I, I think probably fit uh, more than anything else. One of them is that that silence is because of the all, all, A-W-E, all in the presence of God. They've seen the plan of God. This is what's about to happen, and silence falls over all of those around the throne. And they stand there in awe, in reverence of God because of the things that are about to take place and that which is going to happen at that particular time. But there's another word that I, I think goes with this, and, and, and Dr. Criswell mentioned this, that, that the silence basically could be an expectancy. Of what's about to happen. Have you, have you ever. Uh, somebody say. This is about to take place. But it won't take place till here. And you're not really sure what's going to happen. I, I can remember those days. When I was in school. When the teacher would walk up to you. And say when this class is over. You meet me in the coach's office. Because I knew I was going to get a busting. But I didn't know how hard. 
And so I set an expectancy until I could get that over with. You have this, you have this urge, this desire. You want to know what it is. You want to know what's going to happen. And you, you, you just sit and wait in expectancy. What's going to take place? What's going to happen at that particular time? They're waiting for the trumpet to blow. They listen. They listen. There is no sound for 30 minutes. Half an hour, he says. What's happening? What's taking place? The writer of Hebrews, some of you have your own idea about who wrote it. It doesn't matter here right now. Here's what I want you to hear. The writer of Hebrews says this. Now listen to me real close here, folks. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. In other words, you have heard the sacrifice for our sin is the death of Jesus Christ. So if you refuse that, there's no more sacrifice. There's nothing else that can bring you into the presence of God. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment, that's all you've got left. And fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose you shall he thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified as an unholy thing and hath done despite under the spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. Now, here's the last verse of this. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Why is there silence? Because these people are about to fall into the hands of the living God of whom vengeance belongs. Folks, I want you to understand when we get into to chapter 8 here, you know, all of a sudden we find ourselves in a calm, but yet the storm is about to take place. In verse 2, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. The seventh seal is not only silence in heaven, but the seventh seal is calling for the trumpets. The trumpets. If you read in the Old Testament, the trumpet was a very worthy instrument of that day, and it was given to us by God. God is about to call forth His plan upon the earth, and He does it with the trumpets. If you read in Numbers chapter 10, you'll find out the reason for the trumpets. God had these trumpets made, and, and there were trumpets that were made uh, of metal, of course, but there were trumpets made of ram's horns. We call them a shofar. And these ram's horns, uh, when, I when I was in Israel, uh, a guy handed me one. He told me to blow it, and I blew it, but it didn't sound anything like what that guy was blowing. It sounded more like I was just spitting into that horn. 
There's, there's an art to that, what they were doing. So here's the shofar, and then they have the other trumpets that were there. But the trumpets that were used, they were used to, first of all, call the people together. If God wanted to assemble all the people, if Moses had to do that, he would blow the trumpet, and then the people would come together. It was used to call the men to war. The men would gather up, all the tribes, and they would come out, and they would gather for the war. But it was also used to announce special times, the feast. When the feasts were happening, the trumpets were blowing in celebration to the things of God. Remember Jericho? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. You remember what happened? They went around six days, and on the seventh day, they went around, and what did, the, what did the priests do? They blew the trumpet. And when the trumpet sounded, the walls came tumbling down. So it was used for victory, to proclaim the victory over what was taking place at that time. We, we saw in 1 Thessalonians 4, the trumpet is used to call the church into the presence of the Lord Jesus. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. A trumpet of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The trumpet was blown when a king was crowned. And the trumpets are blowing because there's about to be crowned a new king, and he is king of kings and lord of lords. So now he brings out the trumpets. That's what the, first, uh, that's what the seventh seal indicates to us. There's silence, and the trumpets are set. Seven angels, he said. Seven angels which stood before God. You know, that, that's an interesting phrase, because folks, there are seven angels that are mentioned in the Bible. And these seven angels are those that stand in the presence of God. When you look at that, that has to be distinct. It has to be selective. There are only seven angels that stand in the presence of God. Now, if you read in Luke chapter 1, verse 19, when, Za- when Zechariah is talking to Gabriel, the angel, and he wanted to know who he was, Gabriel said, I am Gabriel that stands in the presence of God. So we know one of the angels is Gabriel. Stands in the presence of God. Now these angels are special. And these angels, the seven angels which stood before God, to them were given the seven trumpets of God. The trumpets are made ready for worship. Now look at verse 3. And another angel came. Maybe his name was Harry. I don't know. Another angel came. What what is he talking about there? Interestingly, another angel is mentioned in seven chapter seven and verse two. You read about another angel from the east that has a seal of God in his hand, and then in ten one, and then in eighteen one, and then here in eight three, another angel. These are angels that are specified by God. Now, some people will say, well, that's probably Christ. And that very well could be. I'm not, I'm not denying that. But isn't it interesting that in the book of Revelation, when it speaks of Christ, it designates him as the son of man. He calls him the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
He calls him the root of David. He calls him the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. The lamb that is worthy. He calls him the word of God. To designate the Christ. So here is another angel. And interestingly, in these two verses, he's doing the work of a priest. He's before the altar. And so here is another angel. We're still in this quiet time here. And this angel is doing the work of a priest. The priest are those that attended the altars. Now you have to understand that there were two altars that were built by Moses and of course with Solomon. And these two altars are in heaven. There's the brazen altar that sits outside in the court. The brazen altar was used to offer the sacrifices to God. The fire under that altar was never to be extinguished. And they were to keep that fire burning 24 hours a day. That's the work that they had to do. They kept the fire burning. They offered the sacrifices to God. And that smoke that went up was a pleasant odor in the nostrils of God of the sacrifices. There is an altar before the veil, the veil of the temple. This altar before the veil is called the golden altar. That golden altar has four horns. The horns represent power. If you could could come in and you could grab a hold of that horn, then you were free. No one could touch you as long as you had a hold of that horn. But those horns were very significant because the golden altar, once a year, received the sprinkling of the blood on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, they had uh, one goat and then they had another goat. They would sacrifice one of the goats. They would take the blood of that goat. They would take it and place it on the head of the goat that was called the scapegoat. They would confess the sins of the people, the priest would. And then that goat was sent out in the wilderness and run away from the camp to, to express the fact the sins had been confessed, forgiven, and separated by God. The golden altar. Twice a day at the golden altar. The priest were chosen to go in and offer the fire before God or the incense. Now, when, when you think about the incense that, that's going up to God, and, and I, I got to look, and it, it's from a censer. And if you really want to know what it is, have you ever seen, uh, mostly you see it in Catholic churches, but have you ever seen a priest walking down the aisle and he's swinging this little thing in his hand and there's smoke coming out? That's the censer. And what this priest would do is he would take the censer and he would take the fire from the sacrificial altar and he would put the, the, it in the, uh, the incense in and it would burn and it would ascend into the nostrils of God. Now you can read 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. And Paul says that we are a, a sweet-smelling savor to those that, are, uh, that share the victory of Christ with us. But to those that don't, it's the smell of death because they don't share that. So here's the priest to the go- that comes to the golden altar, this angel, and he brings the fire and he brings the incense and he says he offers that with the prayers of the saints. He's not talking about the New Orleans saints. He's not talking about those who have been canonized. 
He's talking about every born-again child of God. The word saint means to be set apart. And when you and I are, we receive Christ as our Savior, we are set apart for the work of God. So now, representing what God had on this earth, here is the golden altar. The angel is offering the incense to God. But if you read in Luke 1 again with Zacharias, that's what he was doing when Gabriel met him there at the altar. He's offering the incense, but when that took place, the people were to be outside praying. Okay, you up with me? Now here, what he did was, here's the censer. The incense is going up. This is a sweet smell to God, but it's going up with the prayers of the saints. What prayers? You ready? Your prayers. My prayers. God takes our prayers. And, and many of you have sat back, guarantee you, sat back and said, God didn't answer my prayer. Well, I got news for you. He's still got it waiting on you up there. He's taking care of you. Yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll answer. He'll take care of that. But now, here, the incense is going up, and God is hearing the prayers of his people. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer is not being answered right now, but it's going to be. All the prayers of the saints, the prayers of these in chapter 6, that said, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? And God said, it's, it's about to happen. Could it be that the quietness in heaven was because it was a time of worship and prayer? And pleasing God. And the whole heaven went silent. The calm before the storm. The final judgment that is going to take place is God's answer to all the prayers of the saints. And the promise that he made to, to make sure that that blood that they have shed doesn't go away in vain. But God is going to take care of them. The silence as God hears the prayers. Heaven waits. And then verse 5, look at what it says. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. There were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Flung it! Satan is in his heyday. The Antichrist is killing people right and left. And now all of a sudden God just breaks loose in heaven. And he casts that fire forth toward those who have been left behind. And now the silence is broken. The trumpets sound the call for the storm. We move from the silence to the storm. The judgment that has begun. The wrath of God has been flung to the ends of the earth. To all that say there's no mercy in God. There's no grace in God. There's no sacrifice in God. There's no good for, for God. To all of that God says you will experience my wrath. When the prayers ascend into, the, into God's nostrils. The judgment begins to descend on the people of God. Now, 
I want you to understand something, and I'm, I'm going to try to explain these trumpets to you the best I can, because we, we've got a lot of people that, that like to take liberties with what these trumpets bring forth. But there's some of that, that that we have to be real careful of. And I'll, I'll explain it to you as we go along. But I want you to listen as this storm begins to break loose. Now the first trumpet sounds in verse 7. The first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of trees were burned up. And all green grass was burned up. Now some, some like to say that this is just poetic literature. It didn't really happen. John just had to try to find a way to express this. So don't worry about this. And, and don't worry that that's going to happen. Folks, you can't do this. These things that, that God is saying here, these are literal things that happen. And we must understand that. It's a concept of it that, that we're going to have to look at here a minute. But I want you to notice this. Hail and fire fell from heaven in the book of Exodus. When God was releasing his children, hail and fire fell, and that hail was so big. You remember it, it killed the livestock of the Egyptians, and, and it tore up all of their land and, and everything around them. And the fire that he's talking about is, is not some bomb that's, that's drifting down, it's lightning. And the lightning, the fire comes from heaven, boom, boom. What was it, last Saturday we had the tornadoes dancing all around us out here? And I heard a big boom, but it was the breakers off my transformer, and I didn't have any electricity. Lightning, lightning that falls. And so he says, now there's thunder, and there's lightning, and there's hail that's falling. And the difference in, in what happened in Egypt and what happens here is the intensity of what takes place. Here, it kills one-third of the trees. One-third, can you imagine? One-third of the trees that are gone. <coughs> no fruit. The grass is burned up. There's no pasture. Which means there's no meat. Which means there's no milk. There's no grass. The animals starve. We starve. See what's happening to the people at that time? All of this begins to fall, and now people are beginning to starve. Now, there are some people that talk about missiles and, and bombs and, and different things like that. And I'm, I'm not going to say, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. But you have to understand that John sees this from 100 A.D. perspective. He didn't know about missiles and bombs and, and the things that, that we know of today. And so he sees this. Now, there are some that take the Scripture and, and say that it's, it's not necessarily this, but it's this. Now, with this, they, they talk about the Antichrist gaining power. The trees and the leaders of the people. Trees are the leaders of the people. And the leaders are going to be struck down at that particular time. Or it could be that hail and lightning come down and destroy the earth, just as it says here. Verse 8, the second trumpet. And the second trumpet sounded, and as it were, see that? As it were a great mountain. He didn't say a great mountain come down. As it were a great mountain. Burning with fire was cast into the sea. And the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea. And had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. 
Now, this very well could be a meteor. I, I, can, I can give you that. It could, it could be a meteor, and it could be a volcano under the ocean. And that volcano churning under the ocean all of a sudden just whoo, explodes and, and destroys all of this. Now, now, think about this. As he's talking, he said, and a third part of the sea. You say, well, that's not much. Did you know that three-fourths of this, country, this world is covered in water? And you see what happens when, when this happens? See how much that really is? When you, when you begin to look at that, the ocean is salt water. And in that ocean, there are ships. I looked it up, and there are 53,000 registered merchant ships that travel in, in, our, in our waters. And then I, I, I took a third of that. You know what a third of that is? Are you ready? A third would be 17,000, ready? Six, six, six. That's a third of 53,000. That's how many ships are going to be destroyed, which means there's no cargo. There's no food being transported back and forth because of whatever took place in the ocean. Okay? Now, there are some that talk about the kingdom of the Antichrist, that Babylon is the destroying mountain, and you can read that in Jeremiah 51, 25. Jeremiah calls it a destroying mountain because of their uh, wickedness. And then he talks about the ruling, those who rule over the wicked restless in Isaiah 57. There's no peace. One third die. Commerce is destroyed. And so they have nothing. Verse 9, the third trumpet, or verse 10. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. Do you get it? We've got the salt water, now the fresh water. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters become wormwood. And many of them died of the waters because they were made bitter. A great star falls into the, into the lakes, the rivers, the fresh water. And it destroys that water. A great star blazing like fire causes the water to be like wormwood. Wormwood uh, was a, a, a terrible tasting uh, root or plant back in, the, back in uh, John's day. And, and it's used to speak of judgment. Amos used the word to speak of judgment. Now, there are some today that, that use this to make a tea out of, and, and they still drink it there in the Middle East and uh, leave it to America. We made a, a liquor out of it. It's called absinthe. And as I was reading about this, it, it said that absinthe has a, a bad licorice, licorice taste to it. But yet, I guess if you drink enough of it, you don't care what it tastes like. But this wormwood is so bitter that, that people can't drink it and they won't be able to drink the water. Now, these, these things that are used here are used to describe the judgment of God. And, and one writer even has talked about a nuclear explosion uh, that might have taken place because that, that will uh, paralyze all the water that's there. And of course, we understand that. Many talk about Satan falling from heaven. That's in Isaiah chapter 14. And the waters in Revelation 17, 15 are, are the people of the earth. So Satan is falling. And we do know that Satan fell. What we do know 
is the salt water is going to be destroyed, the fresh water is going to be destroyed. Now look at verse 12. The fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them were darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. Now when a third part of the sun refuses to shine, that affects the moon, and that affects the stars. Everything is pretty well out of, out of whack, but you know that the scientists tell us today that the sun is burning out. You heard that? The sun is continuing to burn out. And we know there's storms that go all through the sun all the time. Now here's the sun that has been affected. Darkness happened in Egypt. We remember that. It was so dark they couldn't see. And there's going to be a darkness because of the third part. And when that happens, there's going to be less light and there's going to be less energy. We won't be able to generate that and there's nothing Washington can do about that. Because they, they may want to build up the energy, but they can't. When the source of light is diminished, we lose heat. And there will be people that are going to be freezing to death. And the world is affected by this because the sun is going to affect all of the world. What happens? Not real sure. Some people talk about men loving darkness, the sun, the moon, the stars are called the ruling authorities. You remember the pastors in chapter 2 and 3. They are called the stars in the hand of Jesus. Society falls apart. God's ordained light has now been diminished. And darkness is in control, which means the Antichrist is in control following all of the things of Satan. So missiles, nuclear bombs, meteors, could be. Literal is what you need to look at. These things are going to happen. Now you say, okay, preacher, that, that's been real enlightening. But what has this got to do with our relationship with God? I've been waiting for this. Verse 13. Look at it. Okay. Now, if you have a New International Version Bible, and a lot of you do, when I'm, I'm going to read the word angel, you're going to see the word eagle. Okay, here we go. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. By reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. In other words, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's just the beginning. Water's gone. Food's gone. Animals gone. People dying. Inflicted with, with pain. And we're going to see that more listed here. Now what's the difference in angel and eagle? It's the way the word that's used there is interpreted. But it can mean either one. So uh, no one has done an injustice there. So we're going to call it the eagle angel. And you can read about the eagle angel that stands before the throne of God. But what you need to understand is this. That eagle angel that's flying. Hear the words that he says. Woe, woe, woe. You hadn't seen anything yet. Wait till the next three trumpets in chapter 9. 
Now, folks, let me tell you something. And here's, here's my, my point for you today. I wouldn't want to go through something like this. Would you? I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to be a part of this. And that's why for the last few weeks I've been telling you. We need to make sure right now that if Jesus were to come back today, I'll go be with him. Do you know that? And if you don't, you will hear those words. Woe, woe, woe unto you. Don't do that. Folks, all I'm here to do is to tell you the good news. And the good news is God has warned us, this is what will happen if you reject Jesus Christ right now. And you may say, I'm just as good as everybody else. Folks, I'll guarantee you, you're a better man than I am. But it doesn't make any difference how good we are. The question is, have you ever in your life accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? If not... I'm fixing to lead you in a prayer and ask you to pray that prayer and receive Christ as your Savior. Because if you reject Him, remember what I told you? God will turn you over to a lie. And when that, when that rapture comes, you'll believe the lie and there'll be no repentance. Please today, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, don't make any excuses. Pray this prayer with me and get up and come here and say, I just found Jesus. And I don't have to worry anymore. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I don't want to see these kind of things happen to you. You don't want to be a part of it. So I'm going to pray with you, and I want you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Father, I know that I'm a lost sinner. I believe Jesus Christ died for me, and I believe he rose again. By faith, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sin. Save me, Lord. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. Beloved, if you prayed that prayer with me, I'm asking you to get up right now. I'm asking you to make your way down the aisle. Nobody's looking. I want you to come, and I'll meet you right here, and we'll take it from there. If you want to pray that prayer and you didn't, I'm asking you to get up and come. Nobody's looking. I want to talk to you. I want to share with you how you can know Christ as your Savior before you leave here. If you're here today and God has brought you here to be a part of the fellowship of this church so that we can serve Him together, then I want you to get up and come. By letter, by statement for baptism, we'll work all that out. But when you need to come, you need to follow Christ. You need to, to be able to share with others the truth, the good news of what God has said. Will you come? Will you come quickly? Father, in the name of Jesus, give us the boldness to step out the victory in Christ today. In Jesus' name. As we stand together and as we sing, I'm here I invite you to come right now. Don't stop. Just keep coming.